Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. This is Attorney Vince Davis. This is Get Your Kids Back Now. This show is dedicated to keeping families together and to fighting the tyranny of CPS and DCFS social workers. The secondary purpose of the show is to educate parents and relatives or to at least show them where to get the necessary information for their fight. The final purpose of the show is to remind the people that change can be effectuated at the ballot box, at the state and federal levels. Let us unite, vote, and elect those who will make the necessary changes. Good morning. Today we're going to be talking about a subject that I don't talk about all of the time, but during the week I've gotten some requests and emails to talk about uh, lawsuits against social workers. So as most of you know, um, we not only go to juvenile court and we children or try to get these children back to their parents and or families, but we also will go to federal court to file a lawsuit against social workers for violation of civil rights. Now, I talked about this recently and the main, not the only, but the main subjects or areas where we um, sue a social worker is generally where a social worker first detains your child without a warrant. Now, the Fourth Amendment to the United States Constitution uh, protects every citizen, every person in the country, be they citizen or not citizen, from unreasonable searches and seizures. And that has been held to apply to social workers taking your children. So there's only two times where the social worker can legally take your child away from you. And that's number one, if she or he has a warrant or court order. Two, where the child is in danger and there's exigent circumstances. It's an emergency situation and the child has to be removed. Generally, emergency um, situations are limited to where the social worker or someone else has seen abuse perpetrated on the child um, by the parent or person living in the home. Now, that's not the only type of exigent circumstance there is. Um, You know, the imagination is infinite, and there are many other exigent circumstances, but that's generally what an emergency situation is. The first one I mentioned is where the court, um, some judge or a commissioner or other type of judicial officer has signed a warrant. Now, in order to sign the warrant, the social worker must present an application, and that application must be backed up by an affidavit or a declaration under penalty of perjury. So the affidavit and the declaration have to be under penalty of perjury. The third thing they generally submit is a proposed order. For example, they want to get a warrant to come talk to your children. Number two, they want to get a warrant to inspect your children, inspect your home. They can't do any of that unless they have a warrant or a court order. 
or they get a court order to detain your child from you. Now, I notice what one of the things that is happening in a lot of the telephone calls that I'm getting is social worker shows up at the door, sounds like or, or acts like you have to let them in, you have to let them talk to your children. That's not true. The social worker, please leave your premises and not even let them in, in the uh, home, even if they're with police, not unless that they have a court order or a warrant. One of the things that has been happening, I've been noticing recently, is that the social worker will show up <clears throat> to your home, and after the conversation gets going, tries to convince you to sign a piece of paper to allow the social worker to take your children. My advice, my general advice, is never do that. Never agree to let the children be taken from your home. If the social worker had evidence, sufficient evidence to remove your children, he or she would have gone to a judicial officer and gotten a warrant. You voluntarily signing that they can take your children is just you agreeing to waive your Fourth Amendment rights under the United States Constitution. And I advise all of my listeners and all of the people that I talk to, 99.999% of the time, don't do that. So the social worker threatens you and says, well, if you don't sign this, I'm just going to go get a court order and a warrant and come back with the police and take your children. That's tantamount to the police officer interviewing you without reading your Miranda rights or without an attorney. I hope all of you have seen enough television and movies. Don't talk to police and don't talk to social workers. Now, is that always the advice? Clearly, that's not always the advice. There are some exceptions. But the general rule is don't talk to them. And if you want to know the exceptions, talk to an attorney that practices in this area. Call me. 888-888-6582. I'll tell you what I think. Generally, I think don't talk to social workers. I have an interesting case in the office right now. It's out of Los Angeles County, and here are the facts. Social worker has been investigating an incident of domestic violence between a mother and father um, that happened in I think August, July or August of 2018. Now understand, it's no, it's December now, 2018. And the social worker initially, during the investigation, asked the parents to take the children, excuse me, for the father to move out of the home and the children could stay with the mother while the investigation was going on. And the investigation was supposed to last 30 days or seven days, but it was written on a piece of paper, kind of an informal contract between the social worker and the family. So the father moved out of the home and the children remained in the home with the mother. The social worker ended up letting the expiration date on the agreement expire. And the father called me and asked me, could he move back in the home? 
I said, technically, you can move back in the home. The uh, the case has, you know, the investigation has expired. Hell, there's been no, that domestic violence incident allegedly was the first incident since in their marriage, and there have been no domestic violence incidences since. And the father, even though he wasn't living there, he was he was going there and visiting the children, I think, frequently, or they were coming over to his home and visiting frequently. The father did move back eventually because he couldn't stay out of the home and support two households. And the social worker never called, never came back to see or talk to the family. A couple weeks goes by, out of the blue, the social worker texts a message to the father that on Tuesday, there's going to be a court hearing in juvenile court in Monterey Park. Now, the text said nothing about taking the children out of the family home. The text said nothing about the father moving out of the family home. So one of the possibilities is is that this is going to be a case filed by this Department of Children and Family Services in order to start a case and or for, to ask the children to be removed and or ask the father to be removed from the home. Now, tell you what usually happens, and let me tell you what the law generally is. What usually happens is they go to court, you know, the children are taken, or the father has to move out of the home, and the children get to remain there with the mother. And the court goes through the process, and the court eventually takes jurisdiction over the case. The family is ordered to participate in certain types of family maintenance maintenance and family reunification services, including parenting classes. And I'm not sure why that is always on the list. Number two, domestic violence counseling. Uh, they might even get into some type of substance abuse counseling or alcohol uh, testing or drug testing. Who knows what's going to be requested by the social workers on Tuesday morning. And generally, these cases go through and, you, you know, they take the kids away for six months and then you go back to court and you try to get the kids back. And, you know, there's this long process. What a lot of people don't know is that during this process, the county of Los Angeles is making thousands and thousands of dollars from the federal government because the county felt that they had to intervene in these in this family's life in order to protect the children. Case? Yes, it is. But in my experience over the 31 years I've been an attorney this as of this December, I'd say 90% of those cases should be in the juvenile dependency court. Now, am I saying that there is not a problem with domestic violence? No, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is sometimes SHIT happens, but the family is able to resolve the situation without the intervention of the government. And in this case, it's without the intervention of the Department of Children and Family Services. In this particular case that I was mentioning, um, the father took the advice and the mother took the advice of the social worker and got into counseling and got into domestic violence. 
Did they have problems in their marriage? Apparently. But what marriage doesn't? That doesn't mean that the social worker could come into the case and try to take the children and put them in foster care or to start a case where governmental intervention and judges' orders are needed. In my opinion, there are a couple of cases in California that talk about this, some appellate cases. And to be honest with you, unless they can show, unless the social worker can show that there is a connection with what the law calls a nexus between that incident in, in July and the ongoing risk or danger to the children, there should be no court jurisdiction. If there's no court jurisdiction, the county and the social workers don't get paid by the federal government. Yes, it's a money-making operation. It's America, money off of everything. So in this particular case, where there was a one-time incident in July, there have been none since, where the parents have cooperated with the department. The department still thinks there needs jurisdiction and still needs still believes that either this father should be removed from the home, even though he's back at the home, or that the children should be taken away from the parents, which, you know, would devastate any child, and that we should be or the government should be involved in their lives. Now, the easy way is just to agree with the social worker and go along with the plan. That's the easy way. That makes everybody's job down at the courthouse simple, the lawyers, the judges, the social workers. You know, just go along with the plan. That's not, in my opinion, right in every situation. And, you know, I I sometimes wonder, are we going along with the plan just so that the county can make money, just so that everyone can stay in business? I thought that always runs through my mind when I'm working on certain types of cases. Now, am I saying that there is no situation where there shouldn't be court intervention or social worker intervention and, and assistance and services? No, I'm not saying that. It's just that in my opinion, most of the cases that end up in juvenile court shouldn't be there because there are other things that can be done. For example, the social worker could give you services, participate in the services, and there's no need to file a court case. Ah, but the county doesn't get paid as much money as if they, unless they had filed the court case. It's like going to McDonald's and only ordering a hamburger. McDonald's doesn't make that much profit. But if you go to McDonald's and you order the big back value meal, you're going to, McDonald's is going to make more money, more profit. It's the same way, in my opinion, with the counties throughout the state of California. They want to take jurisdiction. They want to give the people these services all in the name of protecting children. And I say it's all in the name of profit. I'm going to take our first call this morning. It's from area code. 760 ending in 38. Good morning. You're on with Attorney Vince Davis. Did you have a story to tell or a question to ask? Hello? Good morning. Hello, You're can on. you hear me? Loud and clear, sir. Yeah. 
can you hear me okay? Loud and clear. Yeah, can you hear me okay? Okay. Did you want to tell a story or ask a question? Yeah, I can do both. Uh, whatever you prefer. Why don't can you, you hear me okay, though? Okay, yeah, the Sir? story? Yes. Yeah. Okay, the story is um, my daughter was being, uh, she was telling me that she was being touched by her uncle who lives at her mother's house. Me and the mom were separated. We had 50-50 custody. And uh, so I called the police. They were no help. They said basically, I talked to the the people and they said, uh, you know, she would have to basically have a lot of more evidence than that. So anyways, I, I called CFS myself, and I, I talked to them to try to get help for my daughter because she kept telling me these stories. The girl on the phone, she sounded like uh, she had a bias towards me from the very start. I had never met her, and she suggested that I take uh, anger management classes and all these things and said, uh, you know, I can get really involved in your life, and uh, you're not going to like it. Basically threatened me, you know, with what power she had. And um, so, anyways, we went to mediation in my local court. It was um, still family law case. And uh, the mediator said, you know, there's no reason to keep your kid from you. Or, uh, you know, you, you, all the therapists said you should be reunited with your child. Um, so she says, I'm going to recommend to the judge that, you know, you are reunited. The judge said, oh, well, yeah, I'll reunite you guys, but it looks like I don't have jurisdiction anymore, and it's a juvenile court case in San Bernardino. So now, uh, right when I'm about to get my child back, this was three years ago. Um, she's six now. She she was three at the time. Uh, now I'm going to the juvenile court case, which you were explaining is just a big circus. And um, I trusted the system to do what it said it was supposed to do, you know, what it stood for. And my first experience actually um, visiting my daughter after a, a very long time where it was really one of the hardest things and that I went through besides what I'm still going through now. And uh, so so I, uh, I went to court. They said I get to visit her once a week. She She then started telling me more about how, uh, you know, her uncle, who they put her back with at the mom's house, was still touching her. And um, when I asked her, you know, what does anybody do when they do this, or where is everybody when they're doing this? Well, they used that in the report saying that I'm being emotionally abusive to her by asking her these leading questions and completely left out of the report what she had stated that had happened at the house. Two years later after I go periods of like six months out of time without seeing her, um, they, I finally see her at the CFS office in Victorville. And, uh, my first experience there was, you know, obviously it was nice to see my daughter again, but after the visit, they had taken her, put her in a room. I heard her talking. I, I figured, you know, I might as well go check on her. I walked across the hall to the room they, I heard her in. It was shut. The door was shut. I opened the door. She was in there with two complete strangers who did not work at the office who were there waiting to see their kid for their visit. And I asked them, they just put her in here? And they said, yeah, they just put her in here. 
and shut the door. So my first experience at the CFS office in Victorville was that they just took my kid, threw her in a room like cattle, and just shut her behind a door with complete strangers who didn't work there and who were also waiting to see their kid. Now, a few weeks later, this was two years after the original incident. Okay, now, now two years later, without bringing up anything to my daughter, she on her own brings up again that she's been touched by her uncle that lives at her mom's house, who she's been staying at with the last two years. Right in front of the, the monitor, the monitor declined to write it down. She, she refused to report it in her notes. And then when I was saying what she was saying, she turned it around and said that I actually was uh, saying that. So right away, you just feel completely like, you know, you're, these people are supposed to help you. And then a third incident that comes to mind is the actual, the actual social worker for my daughter she uh, she actually choked my daughter around the neck because at the end of the visit, my daughter tried to run back to me to give me a hug, and she threw her arm around her neck where I could see her face turn red, and I heard the choking sound, and then she had the security guards escort me out. So I had to sit there and watch some stranger choke my, uh, my, my five-year-old daughter at the time uh, and drag, take her away and have me escort her out. Um, so that's my experience as far as with CPS. I just recently got my minute order. I have a court date in January 3rd. They want to put my kid up for adoption. Um, they're, I can obviously say that in the reports, I feel they're sexist. 90% of the people who work there are, are female. And, and just right off the bat, they have this preconceived notion that guys are supposed to be just evil. And this is just from my own experience of what what I'm feeling when I'm there. And um, my daughter loves me so much. I, I just, in the reports, they're, they're saying that she uh, is saying she's afraid to be with me, but they won't write, and, and that's a complete lie, but they won't write down that she misses me and wants to go home, and they, won't, they will not write that down in the report. So when I read the reports, even though the mom is on meth and keeps avoiding drug tests, they make her sound really good, and they make me sound completely horrible. So right now where I'm at is I need to um, write my declaration of facts and, and send it to the clerk at the juvenile court case so that they can appeal it, and I can bring it to the court of appeals. Um, but now what they're doing is my appointed attorney and everybody there won't tell me the clerk's name that will be there on that date, uh, and essentially stopping me from doing what I legally have the right to do is to submit my uh, declaration of facts. So my question would be, um, is it legally allowed for them not to give me the clerk's, uh, the clerk's uh, name so I can, you know, send her uh, the, the defects report with the Supreme Court cases that support my case? Because I eventually want to sue okay. them in civil court or federal court. Okay. So the, the short answer to your question is, no, I don't think so. No, I don't. But there's some. But, but I think I have to inform you of some things because you have some misconception about the entire case. Is that okay? The entire case? Sure. I mean, yeah, I'm here to learn. Okay. Do you have a pen and a piece of paper? Yeah. Okay. 
I, I want you to, after we get off the phone, first thing I want you to do is go to YouTube.com. I'm getting a lot of feedback. Are you listening to the show while you're on the telephone? Uh, give me one second. Here, is this better? Much better. Thank you for okay. doing that. The first thing I want you to do after we get off the phone is go to YouTube.com. You've heard of YouTube, right? Uh, no, I, I've only been on Earth a, a few days now. Okay. When you go to YouTube, there's a search bar at the top. I want you to type in the search bar, Vincent Davis, what is justice? Vincent right. Davis, what is justice? There is going to be a seven-minute video. You need to watch that and understand what I'm trying to tell people. You see, you have a notion. Well, first of all, you know you, you're being screwed in the system. And you Correct. know that you're going, to lose, you're going to lose your child if you don't do something. But you don't, know, you don't know what to do. Exactly. You have a feeling that you know what to do, but you're entirely wrong. I probably am. Okay. And doing the wrong thing will cause you to lose more, will cause you to lose your daughter. And then at the end of the day, you're going to say that the court is unfair, which isn't entirely true because you lost because you're not doing it the right way. Okay. Yeah, I don't know the rules because it's not the game I particularly play or want to play. Right. Right, but unfortunately, you're in this game. You got to know the rules, or you got to get someone that knows the rules. Now, yeah. the state of California gives every parent a court-appointed attorney in these cases. You must, you must email and call your court-appointed attorney. All right. No, well, see, this is the thing. Can... I talked to him yesterday, and he is completely BSing me. He he first told me to go to another attorney in his office. He was assigned to me, then he reassigned me. They're they, they no help. I mean, I, it's like talking to a brick wall. So is that your only suggestion? Because he's not going to help me. I'd be okay. better off firing him and representing myself. I don't know if I I mean, because he, that, at the end I, of the day, I, well, I, like you said earlier, he's just going to try to get the ball rolling. He's not going to want to go against his peers he hangs out with at lunch. You know, it's just a big game. So why would I talk to him if he's not going to help me? Okay, he, he's so already told me basically that. he's not going to. Okay, if you don't want to do that, you're going to have to hire an attorney. If you want to get your child back, you got to hire an attorney, a private attorney that has experience in this area and that can help you get your child back. Because you haven't told me anything that would lead me to believe that you can't get your child back. Or shouldn't have your child. I, okay. I have no idea. They they keep saying uh, that basically my they they said lies that my daughter doesn't want to be or feel safe alone with me, which is completely false. Um, and they're saying I'm emotionally right. abusive, which is a very general thing that. And the emotional. Well, now they're saying uh, I'm talking about the case, which is also a lie. And you know that it's just their report. So if they won't let me file my own report, it's basically them saying something and me saying nothing. Right, but you you shouldn't file your own report without an attorney's 
uh, expertise because you're thinking the report's going to do something. Your own report's going to do something, and it's not. You're thinking maybe all I wanted to do is to. All I wanted to do is to get into appeals so I can get out of that court system and go to a different court where it's a little bit less biased. Okay, well, you're doing it the wrong way. There's okay, well, what's the right way? Okay. In order to tell you that, I need to review your legal file. So what you need to do is you need to go to court on Monday morning with your driver's license. Go up to the window, the clerk's office in San Bernardino is those, you know, they have those big windows before you walk in the I back. did that yesterday. Yeah, I was there yesterday. So tell them you want a complete file, complete copy of your file, including the minute okay. orders and the court reports. You okay. get all of those and then you can just drop box them to me. Basically okay. email them to me. I'll review them. You call my office and you make a re, uh, you make an appointment to have a phone consultation or an in-person consultation. It's free, and I can give you some okay. advice on what specifically needs to be done. So my email address is v as in Vincent dot Davis D A V I S at Vincent W Davis dot com. You can call my office and make that in-person or phone appointment by calling 888-888-6582, It sounds like you're running out of time. They're moving to adopt your child. If your child is adopted out, you will lose your child permanently and forever. So you need to do this Monday morning. Oh, and also the foster family she's in is also a politician, which is a relative of the mom. And, yeah, so. So that's just more things stacked against you. Yeah. So if that information, uh, email it to me and or Dropbox it to me. Dropbox.com is a free service, and it's a really good service that uh, we use in communicating or getting documents back and forth from clients. There's even an app. Let me tell you one thing that um, the most devastating thing on my child is is that this has happened to her. They're acting like they're that I'm should be up, you know, for emotional abuse when in fact my daughter has been through more trauma now because of them. And let me just say one more thing that they're working together with the pharmaceutical company because they're trying to get very general. Uh, you know, labels on these kids to put them on medication. So all, everyone's getting paid, like you said. Even the, So now they're taking kids, putting them on drugs. And let me just say that one, someone once said to control the future, you have to control the children. And that was Hitler. That's interesting. I, I had never heard that before. But I, I would have to agree to agree with it. Sure. Because the children are the, the children are the future, aren't they? Yeah, so to me, it's just um, CPS and CFS is just like this new uniform of Nazis. And, and they're going with the socially political agendas that academia is preaching from political influences that are paying them. And uh, it's all about, like you said, money. But it's also about control and power. So welcome to the new Nazis, and they're called CPS. So I, I think that's true in, in in any civilization. There are a group of people that tend to want to take control. It is a human 
weakness, so to speak. Natural freedoms uh, that the universe grants every person uh, being violated. But, yeah, thank you. Thank you for your call. Keep listening. And, I look, I, um, with those documents and that free consultation, well, because you need to find yeah. out exactly what needs to be done or you will lose your child. Yeah, they want to adopt her on January 30th of 2019. So I got about two months before they steal my ch- child from me. Okay, move fast, my friend. And I'll be talking to you. And thank you again. All right. Talk to you later. That was a very interesting call. I feel sorry for that gentleman. I hope we're going to be able to help him. Uh, January is not too far off. He's running out of time. Uh, Before we talk more about uh, suing social workers, we're going to take another call. Um, it's, called, it's from area code 562, in, ending in 17. Good morning, Good morning uh, Vincent. Did you have a story to Can tell? Can you hear me okay? I have a story to share with you. Please go ahead. Um, yeah. Uh, mine was a, a case of uh, sort of, I don't know if I want to call it out of the norm, but... Uh, what had happened is I was in an economic disaster, and uh, I had uh, got to the point where um, starting to have repeated visits, and I was very naive. And if I knew what I knew today, and shared to all your listeners, and had an attorney like yourself, um, right at the onset, I don't think I would have spent the, the time, the energy, the money, and and my children, uh, and ended up where. Of the three children, one is taken away, stolen by um, Child Protection Services. It was a, a very traumatic experience, you know, when they come to the door and they have, um, uh, 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 my case actually was so weird is that uh, they came by on a Wednesday and no one was home, and then they got the police on a Thursday, and uh, they had... Um, uh, not only the police, they had the fire department and code enforcement. Some apparent reason they were trying to, uh, it's almost like a witch hunt. I don't know what it was like, but what we later found out is some family members were trying to uh, make up stories to convince them about uh, that we uh, didn't have power on, our kids were not taking baths, uh, our kids weren't going to school, and all these things which were not true. And uh, and be naive, I you know when they showed up uh, at my school where I pick up my kids, I was uh, actually going out to pick up my wife, and that's when the, a policeman pulled me over, and uh, he said that uh, uh, there's a guy back there in the car that wanted to speak to you. Well, when a policeman pulls you over, it's kind of like I'm saying, well, I didn't do anything wrong, but then you, you can't, you cannot say you cannot talk to them. And so he talked to me. He says, I want you to follow me right away. Don't get your wife. And I was just really adamant that she should be there. So I'm with my nine-year-old son, who's now 13, and uh, he, uh, you know, was really traumatic by this thing because we're sitting up front of my house, and, and uh, because of my economic, because I lost my job, and I was in the process of losing my dad and my mom and everything. And, and yes, my wife and I did have domestic violence. Uh, we uh, argued a lot in front of the children. That's wrong. And, uh, you know, um, that part... Um, was exaggerated. I mean, there's levels of domestic violence. Um, and so um, I learned a lot of in class and things like that. 
but this thing was drawn out and it seemed like it just was never going to be ending. And just recently, uh, this, this month, uh, well, actually last month, November, that I finally got uh, my last son home. My other son, uh, he became 19 in last August or 18, or the, what, excuse me, a year ago, uh, Dad. And so he matrixed out. The hardest thing for me and my wife is that losing your daughter, taken away, and she was so convinced that we were horrible parents that she chose a family um, uh, that she'd only been with for seven months and said that that's going to be the family that's going to really make her dreams come true. And it's really sad because every day we have a uh, December next week, uh, the review for adoption. And that's a horrible, sickening feeling to us to say that a child wants to divorce their parents. You, you know, you give them life, you nurture them, uh, and uh, you try to do everything you need to son to uh, be good parents. And uh, instead of the system helping you, they just lie. They lie from the top down. I mean, I would write them emails. I would tell them that what you're doing is wrong. I tried to, I mean, it wasn't until I got a, a real good professional attorney uh, to um, help me uh, weed through all the mess that's the that's the key you need somebody it's like a doctor if you're going to have to get a, a a new heart or or you have something you have to operate on you need someone that knows what they're doing uh, otherwise you just bury yourself and that's pretty much what i ended up doing and it's to the point where again i'm in financial ruins again because you know they they strap all kinds of things i had a double restraining order if you can believe that and because they tried to take everything in the court, they duplicated everything social service was doing. The criminal were trying to do the same thing. And um, um, as I look back, maybe I should not have uh, uh, did a plea deal. I was just only doing plea deal to protect my family. Economics, I didn't have really uh, somebody that could uh, help me out in that situation. But the sad part is that my wife and I, we still love each other, but we're constantly... Because we live apart, because we have two households, and uh, um, it's really hard because we, we're not together. How can you nurture marriage when you're not together? The social workers on so many occasions lied, and uh, the, my rights. I never had one time with my daughter when she was taken away on May 2nd, 2015 to now. Never once got to see her. There's no family reunification. This is a buzzword that the social workers beat their chest on. And I'm sorry if I'm sounding anti-social worker, but I've yet to meet a social worker that's compassionate and caring. And they just, it's like revolving doors. One couple months you're with one, another month with one. And, and they have all these third parties or second parties that hire that are all controlled. I mean, the judge is controlled. The, in, the, in the courtroom, it's the most horrendous thing. They try to hide behind things. Uh, the attorneys are trying to fight each other because they want to win their case. They're not there to say that, hey, maybe, yeah, the father and mother had domestic violence. Let them get some treatment. Let's help get the family back together because the family needs the parents. They just need this. Now, my two boys are smart. They realize that. And as I say, my son, when he became 18, he was emancipated, and he just, you know, basically told the, the social workers to kiss off because you can't do this anymore. He woke up, and my little boy who's now 13, you know, was saying the same thing. They didn't want to have him on the stand, so they they gave up. But it, it, it really financially wrecked me, and now we're in the process of doing a civil lawsuit against social services, and, and that's the part that I 
I hope uh, that this case against them, it's, it's not the money thing as much as to prove to them that they were wrong. They can't do that to a family because our family was a loving, caring family. Yes, we had differences. Yes, I was going through, I did some terrible things as far as depression and sadness because when you lose your job and you can no longer be hired at the age of, I, at that time I was 60, I'm 69 now, and uh, um, I'm still physically fit. And uh, I'm trying to uh, get a job, but it's hard when you have restraining orders and you're still in formal probation for four years. I mean, it's, 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 it's a hard thing. And so I'm hoping that this lawsuit will, will happen. Um, um, you know, I, I, I know it's a long process. And collective money is going to be hard. Um, but uh, they did wrong. They really did wrong. I mean, there's so many cases of my civil rights. Uh, you know, from, from the very onset, if I knew about the search warrant, how it works. But, you know, we as parents aren't allowed to um, really um, do things. Uh, I mean, we're not given with all the how to do things. And so you trust government officials. You trust your government. And uh, I think there's really something bad. And I, I know we're supposed to go out and vote and try to vote to make changes. Yes, voting does your judges and stuff but it is corrupt and this is the orange county social services it's corrupt from the top all the way to the bottom and uh, i have so many emails and and and, and notes and, and things i've taken over the years that shows how evil how corrupt i mean from there was even one time when the social worker alleged i violated the social uh, the uh, restraining order and for a whole year i kept going back and forth to court and they never did the court. I said, I was not guilty. And they finally gave up. They were even trying to get me to give them money. Uh, they said, well, if you use $500, we'll let it go away. I, that's how corrupt the system is. They're not there to, 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 to see right. It was, it was a horrible thing. And my kids have suffered for it. We still suffer every day. My wife is a very lonely woman now. And uh, she is just, she's just devastated. I mean, we had a marriage that, yes, needed help. But... Um, it's just been disastrous. So I, I hope this lawsuit uh, will work. I hope this lawsuit will will prove to them that they just can't do things that destroy the child. We don't we don't have our daughter anymore. But anyway, thank you for letting me share my story, Vincent. You're a great man, and thank you for everything that you do. I mean, take your Saturday like this. It's really great. Thank you, Vincent. Well, thank you for calling in. I appreciate you calling and listening. Um, and thank you for sharing your story. All right. God bless you. Okay. So we're, we were talking about suing social workers. And I told you that generally, you know, that you sue a social worker for violating your Fourth Amendment rights. And I kind of got off on a tangent on that. The second type of lawsuit that usually comes up is where the social worker uh, is not truthful. Um, I didn't use the word lie. Um, I used that not too long ago in a courtroom, and it offended the judge. So let's just say where the social worker is not truthful in testifying on the stand 
or more likely in writing reports that are used against you to keep the child away from you. Now, I jokingly tell people in my office and the attorneys in my office that that happens probably in every case where the social worker has exaggerated something, where the social worker has been outright not truthful about something. Um, a couple years ago, I'll just give you an example. Um, a social worker wrote in a report that she talked to the minor's therapist and the minor's therapist concurred or agreed that the mother was emotionally abusing the child. The mother told me and that nobody would listen to her, including her court-appointed attorney. Well, she hired us. I called the uh, therapist and I said, hey, did you tell the social worker blah, blah, blah? She said, Mr. Davis, I've never talked to the social worker, so I couldn't have told the social worker that. That's what we would call something that was not truthful. And if you were out on the street, they would just call it a lie. Do social workers lie? Unfortunately, some of them do. I didn't say all of them. Some of them do. It seems like a couple of years ago, I was taking the deposition of a social worker in a civil rights lawsuit. A social worker was sitting in my office in the conference room with her attorney being videotaped for a deposition. I now videotape social worker depositions in most occasions. And um, I learned that particular uh, strategy from an attorney down in San Diego uh, by the name of uh, uh, Sean McMillan. He's one of the gurus in these cases of suing social workers. But anyway, he did things or does things like he takes a deposition and video and he posts it on social media. And I thought, wow, what a great idea. Anyway, I was taking the social worker's deposition. And we're about four hours into the deposition. And I kind of have the social worker kind of cornered. Some point, she admits to signing declarations under penalty of perjury that were false, that were knowingly false. Now, needless to say, uh, this is a big deal in a civil rights case. Um, we were able to prevail in that case after we got that testimony. So do social workers say and write things that are not true? They do. And it almost seems like it's a pattern in practice among social workers, not all social workers, don't get me wrong, but on, among a lot of social workers throughout the state of California. We go to juvenile court cases throughout California in many of the counties from Humboldt County and Shasta County in the north down to San Diego in the south. Um, so and I see the same thing. 
it's almost as if they're all getting the same training or going to the same school and being taught how to win a case, how to win a case and keep your children from you. Not too long ago, I was involved in a case in Yolo County. Yolo County is a small, very nice community, county next to Sacramento County. And I think they have one juvenile court uh, with one judge that handles all the juvenile court cases. Well, in the report, in one of the reports, an emergency response social worker wrote that a witness, not someone involved in the case from the family's perspective, but that a witness said ABC. I talked to the witness and I said to the witness, you know, is this true? Did you say, tell the social worker ABC? She said, absolutely not. I never told the social worker that. Yes, I did talk to her, but that wasn't our conversation. You know, and I can tell you about these things over and over again. And, you know, when I first started doing these types of cases, I was always insistent or tried to be insistent, never successful, by the way, on having social workers videotape and audio tape uh, your interaction and your interviews. Because it's always you know, social worker says ABC, client comes to court and says it's XYZ. There's always that he said, she said. And for a long time, many years, the social workers used to argue, well, it's too expensive to audio and or videotape record our interactions. Therefore, we shouldn't have to do it. Well, technology has changed significantly. And almost every human being, adult human being, has today something called a smartphone. Smartphones video record and they audio record. It's very cheap now. You could video record something or audio record something, post it on the Internet, send it to your attorney, send it to your family and friends. The transaction cost of doing that is de minimis. It's not even pennies. So that's not the excuse, but they still don't require social workers to tape, audio tape your conversations. You know, there was some legislation pending in Sacramento. Um, it, it seems like a year ago, and you can actually find this on the internet through the California Legislative uh, Service. It was a law that would give every citizen or every person in California the right to tape and video record communications with the social worker, even without the social worker's consent. Uh, that bill, unfortunately, did not pass, so it is not the law in California. As a matter of fact, in California, if you tape record or video record, record a social worker without their consent, it's a crime. You could go to jail and you could be sued. You know, a lot of people tell me, you know, Mr. Davis, I tape recorded the conversation between me and the social worker. Now, there are some exceptions about whether that can come into evidence, but the general rule is you can't do it and it can't come into evidence no matter what. Many, many years ago, when I was a court-appointed attorney, case 
where the social worker allegedly kept telling the client, my client, the mother, that you should have your children back because of ABC, DEF, XYZ. You should just have your kids back. But they wrote the report, and the report always said the mother should not have her children back for all of these reasons. We continued that case maybe three or four times for the social worker to complain or for my client to complain or for whatever reason, you know, they didn't want to have a trial because the client was going to say, well, the social worker told me this, even though the social worker wrote something different in the court report. Finally, it got so ridiculous that my client I believe, I don't know if it was surreptitiously or told the social worker, hey, I'm recording you. So at the meeting, the social worker said, yeah, you should have your children back. You've done everything. You're not a danger, blah, blah, blah. And the client, you know, realizing or knowing that the conversation's being recorded, says, well, why do you keep writing in the reports that the recommendation is I shouldn't have my children get my children back? And the social worker said something to this effect. The social worker said, well, my supervisor um, is making me write the report differently than what I believe. Now, at this point, the social the client has never met the supervisor, never met the supervisor. But the supervisor was making these recommendations, who knows for what reason. And unless I really know, I, I always suspect the worst. And, you know, maybe it was for money and funding. You know, the county makes more money when they adopt children out, permanently place children outside of the custody of their parents. By the way, I was in a county, I won't say the county because I think there's only one juvenile judge in this county. I was in a county. I was in a juvenile court. Um, a few months ago, and the judge said from the bench on the record, I don't believe the county does this for money, because one of the witnesses had said something about that, and the judge spoke up. And I was kind of astonished. And, you know, everybody can have their own opinion, and um, that particular opinion, I really think was uh, based upon really not knowing how the county makes money in these cases. But maybe the judge did know. We just had a difference of opinion, but I digress. So anyway, the, the, the client, and I think the client did tape it with the social worker's um, opinion because you know we had kept going back, to, back and forth to court. And finally, I think the social worker got you know, kind of you know, tired of the whole thing and felt bad and maybe a little guilty about writing this report at the behest of the supervisor. To make a long story short, my client brings the tape recording to court and lets me listen to it. Now, this is several years ago, so it wasn't as sophisticated as the you know smartphones are now. But I don't know if you remember, they had those little uh, tape recorders that you could buy you know, at Staples or Office Depot or Office Max, one of those stores. And it was like a little voice recorder, maybe 
an inch wide, but maybe about six inches, five inches tall. And you could literally put it in your jacket pocket or your, your shirt pocket, and it would look like a pen, you know, if you were looking from an outside. But anyway, she, the client plays, plays the tape for me in the attorney conference room. And I'm kind of flabbergasted by it because I now know my client was telling me the truth all of this time. So I let the county council hear the tape. And then we had a conference with the judge, and the judge says, well, you know, Mr. Davis, I don't think that that tape is going to be admissible evidence um, because uh, for many reasons. And I said, well, even if it was done surreptitiously because there was some confusion or clarity about uh, or non-clarity about whether the social worker knew that he was being taped during this conversation. And I would, you know, as I said, there are some exceptions to that rule of something be admitted if it's taped, um, you know, and the other person didn't know. But the general rule is you can't do it in California. And the social worker, excuse me, the county council, you know, was a, uh, what I believe is a very experienced county council that tries to do right, tries to be fair. Um, anyway, uh, convinced the social worker's supervisor to change the recommendation, and the children were returned to the mother. But can you imagine going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth with the social worker, case getting continued and continued until the truth could come out? I don't think that would happen today. I really don't. And I think that these types of things happen more often than we know. And even though these cases aren't supposed to be truly adversarial, because we're talking about children and their best interest. I think when it comes to the county, that in most cases they are truly adversarial and they are trying to win. And it's not just because they're trying to protect children. There's money involved. And there's money for the county. And it's a 70 or $75 billion budget, federal budget, that all the states and counties are drawing from. We're running out of time. I can't take any further calls today, but I want to thank everyone for listening. Uh, go to my website, fightchildprotectiveservices.com. Check out the book, the video. If you want a hard copy of the book, call my office at 888-888-6582. Leave your name and address, and we'll mail the book out to you. Also, check us out on YouTube, youtube.com, Vincent Davis. I've posted a lot of informative videos that can help people who have these juvenile court cases here in the state of California. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on the radio.